Hello and welcome to Pass the Pod to Your Witcher. I'm your co-host Dov. I'm your co-host Aaron. Hi, Max. And today we're discussing the first Witcher short story written ever, <laughs> The Witcher, from the short story anthology The Last Wish. Probably fair to say right from the outset this corresponds to um, episode 3 of the TV series, so we're probably going to make a lot of reference to that. I'm pretty excited to finally get to to the books. Um, I think it might be fair to just say to people who um, haven't read the books and who are um, fans of the show that uh, that wonky timeline in the show didn't come from nowhere. Um, and that the books, if possible, actually have a weirder timeline. Um, it's not quite as convoluted trying to sort of match up characters, but um, it is kind of wildly out of order. Now, I won't spoiler anything from the later stories, but I will say that we should probably describe the structure of the books a little bit so they understand why we're jumping from the voice of reason to the Witcher. Um, yes, so, so in, in the first book, at least. So the first two books are just collections of short stories, and thereafter, they are just novels. And um, the first one's interspersed with Geralt uh, convalescing at uh, some temple um, and kind of dealing with the aftermath of the case that the first short story revolves around, really. Yeah, yeah, like, um, it's uh, the, 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 fir- the first short story book consists of basically Geralt resting at, at the temple of Melitelli in the Lander and reminiscing about various events in his life that just so happened to be short stories that Sapkowski wrote before this. Um, like, uh, and one of them is the very first short story he ever wrote, um, which is eponymous to the entire series, The Witcher. Yeah, so this was written, uh, and well, it's published in 1986 as part of a short story competition um, in a uh, fantasy um, sort of anthology magazine. So yeah, should we um, maybe just dive into it? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. so a bit, the thing that I like about The Witcher is it starts setting out the tropes early doors insofar as he enters a, a pub gets in a fight with some racists and is arrested. Oh, we, we've, oh but we forgot the voice of reason because we start with the voice of, of reason. of course, yes, sorry. Yeah, the voice <laughs> of reason starts okay, so with So actually, him. it all starts with a sex scene. Um, yeah, so it really does set out the tropes early doors because it starts with a weird sex scene. <laughs> yes, where, where the woman is mute but rubs her tits in his face to wake him up. <laughs> he just kind of goes, oh well, gosh. this is happening. He refers to her as the girl, the girl. I do not like that. The implications of the girl make me really unhappy. And she's a water I mean, nymph as well. So not even human. Oh girl. gosh, yeah. Like <laughs> Yes, the Like admit- admittedly that might be a translation issue with the girl because actually like the like the Lafayette translation I have uses a word that is basically more like young woman. Um like which you know it still emphasizes the fact that she's young, but like in a kind of you know less, less immediately scary way. Fair, 
Okay, we, we, yeah, we should probably also note that the English translations are known to be, like, pretty wonky. Yeah, the first two so, books and especially. Also, also, to be totally fair, in this case, is the case is literally because there isn't a word in English that, like, says the concept young woman in one word. Yeah. Of course, like, a good translator would work around that, but as we know, there's well, I mean, that, that is that is usually how, like, someone would translate, like, um, like, 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 like the the English word "girl" can also mean "young woman." Is what I'm saying, you know. Like, um, it's it's really a failing of the English language that there isn't a distinction. Yeah, we kind of go from "girl" to "woman," and there's very few words in between to really describe them. Between, well, I suppose there's "teen." But... Yeah, I suppose I could I could probably write a essay on the problems of the English language and how it frames oh yeah if anyone amongst the three of us here <laughs> overwhelmingly <laughs> qualified in that regard, yeah. <laughs> yeah so we, we have this strange sex scene with the water nymph and then Geralt walks into a pub is confronted by racists gets in a fight and is arrested as he is wont to do um, also the Xenophobes, translation is dodgy um, because they just call it uh, Vizim Rather than using the anglicization, or the, I assume the original Polish, it's kind of halfway between them. Um, it like does a really weird thing because the original Polish is like Vizima, but like spelled in like Polish orthography. Um, like famously, the games translated it. I think actually in this case quite well. Um, basically the same way, but spelling it with a V. Um, like just sort of like you know. Like making it slightly easier if I don't quite know why for uh, English speakers to parse, um, but um, uh, like for some reason, like the book translation into English dropped the a off the end. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then the audiobook actually gets worse because the audiobook narrator pronounces it vachim. Why? <laughs> There is no way. Yeah. There is no way in which you could pronounce a Z as a. It's a Z. A it's not like a C Z. Well, isn't the Z in Polish? I thought. Uh, well, it's a C Z. No, not but in, in this Polish, case. It's a like, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, it's a C Z. Sorry, I was confused. Uh, yeah, I have like, no idea why the narrator pronounces it that way. So I had no idea what people were referring to when they're talking about Vizima because I only listened to the audiobooks the first time I went through these. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it um, is genuinely really odd. Um, like, yeah, it's also worth mentioning, guys, that, like, well, these two, like, list, like, um, listen to slash read the English translation. I read the Lithuanian translation. Uh, so there's probably going to be various issues derived from the fact that none of us know what the Polish original of anything is like. <laughs> um, <laughs> for all we know, this could be a story about, about someone whose name is not actually Geralt. Um... <laughs> Um, his name, his name could be Gerald, for all we know. Um, <laughs> um, I thought this, um, this opening scene where he gets into the the fight with the, ra- the racists is interesting because it seems like they're ganging up on him for being Rivian, not for being a Witcher, which is sort of something slightly different that I don't think ever happens again. Yeah, yeah, like uh, he clearly, like like Sapkowski clearly in this very early short story is already experimenting with the idea of like fantasy racism, but like. Uh, here it 
takes on a specifically like kind of national rather than speciesist connotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, which, yeah, I don't think it ever fucking happens again, to be totally honest. Yeah, um, I don't think so either. Like the the only the only exceptions I can think of is I guess is like you know when people fa- when people speak of like specific like cultures that like like human cultures I mean that like live slightly like more like fundamentally different lives like the Skelligars are perceived to be rowdy and like fighty and so on but they are though so you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say that fantasy leg- racism is legitimate when it's true, but like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and when he gets into this fight with the, the racists in the in, in the inn, like, he pretty unnecessarily and really brutally just ices these three guys. <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit hand-shot first, but like, brutal. It's it's very, very Han, Han fucking massacred the whole of the cantina first. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, exploded a thermal detonator inside Boss Eisley's spaceport. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, it's never explicitly stated, but I always, every time I read this bit, have this horri- horrifying sinking feeling, like, are the only people who he cut down here, like, the fugs? Because mm-hmm. there's, like, there's a lot of disorder. It's like really, really vaguely described. Like it uses very impressionistic language, shall we say? Yeah. Um, like, um, the, like, um, lots of people. Well, there's a woman screaming. Lots of people are trying to flee. Like every time I read this, I go, I, I go like, did Geralt? Like, I mean, it's bad enough actually. That Geralt killed only a handful of people. That like actually, you know, like. Yeah, they were being horrible to him, but, like, they hadn't actually done violence. Um, <laughs> like, they only tried to knock, like, a tankard out of his hand. Like, um, but, like, I, I constantly wonder, like, okay, what exactly is the death toll on this entire operation? <laughs> <laughs> and it's also so out of character for, like, who Geralt is later. So it's really interesting to see that like this is the first story that clearly wasn't a world built yet. It was sort of like trying to figure out who he is. Yeah. It's almost like who they make Kehir out to be in the TV series is what, as they describe the Rivian in the story at this point of time is. Even then, not really, because like this is like he, Geralt in this scene is definitely how do you put this? is an accurate representation of that myth about witchers that they have no feelings. Mm. Yeah, he just feels nothing about the fact that he's just iced these three guys. The other thing I thought was kind of interesting show-wise was um, this feels a lot like the way they filmed the start of the Renfrey episode. So it feels like they're still trying to give it the same intro to the series, even though they started with a different story. I think I mentioned it in the Renfrey episode. I think you actually. did. That Initially, you said when I, when I was watching this, I confused which episode it was because I was like, mm-hmm. "Is this the Vizima episode?" <laughs> like, yeah, because it started. Oh, it turned out to be the Renfrey one, which I which mm-hmm. I just thought was cool. Yeah, so I think it's yeah, it's really cool that they decided to start chronologically with the Renfrey episode because that chronologically happens before this does. But yeah, I think it's like pretty much the oldest 
yeah. event that's been written about in the short stories, chronologically speaking. Yeah, so it's cool that the show started with it in chronological order, but then tried to sort of still give us the same introduction to Geralt that the that the books did, minus the murder. The murder is pretty brutal. It is pretty brutal, which like unsurprisingly gets him hauled up to the to the Castellan. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, and he mentioned you mentions the the bounty notices for three thousand orans and. That's why he is yes. where he is. Announced yeah. by Faultist King, Lord of Temeria Ponter and Mahakam. Yeah, and uh, then Valorant talks for several pages. <laughs> he really fucking does. He basically <laughs> tells us this story that will be familiar to all of you who have watched the TV series that um, long ago, Faultist, when he just became king, um, was rather indiscreet um, and and uh, committed an act of incest with his own sister um, and a, unfortunately a baby was born of the entire process um, which turned out right from the outset to be well first of all dead um, and second of all shaped very very much like a monster before six years later it turned out that like the monster has come to life and started basically raiding Vizima at night for civilians to eat. What I find interesting is um, in The Witcher 3 so in, in Witcher lore there is a lot of body horror around like fetuses and babies. Yeah, I tend to call yeah. it reproductive horror. Reproductive horror is the main thing in the larger Witcher series. They really start from here. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, in, in Witcher 3 you get the botchling and here you get the Striga because it's said that, you know, Strigas are really, really rare monsters and they usually only come out because of curses and I suppose this is introduced later on. Obviously they go into how could this yeah. have happened. But, um... Yeah, here we've got I mean, it's the, born as a monster. The... Because it's from an illicit relationship. Yeah. Like, well, that is the claimed reason, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, and this is this is actually not an infrequent thing in general in Slavic folklore. Like, actually, like, um, if there's one thing where, like, um, a, ro- a lot of, like, the emphasis on the reproductive horror is derived from is actually probably that, like, a lot of like Eastern European mythology about monsters does relate in some in some like in a lot of its aspects to the themes of like death in childbirth or like children who died early, um, like you know like all these sorts of like uh, topics related to you know things that in. Middle Ages, Eastern Europe were really frequent, like death and childbirth, for instance. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, and then it sort of becomes the the driving factor of a lot of the yeah. It really fucking does. Series. Like he he yeah. really can't stop writing about it. Um, but well, about it's, that it's later, about, <laughs> it's either like genetics or um you know, childbirth or anything. That's the main thread throughout the entire story. You know, that's that, why... Or economics. Yeah, it's, it's why Siri is... He does love neoliberal economics. Uh... 
Um, so I think it's sort of the, the things that I found sort of interesting and worth sort of picking out within um, Valorad's um, extremely long monologue is again we see that um, at this point in the writing the the world is just being built and it's not the world that we end up getting because Valorad says to to Geralt that like oh 20 years ago this this would never have happened yeah, yeah, yeah. wild that we need witchers well, yeah. now in the past it was just wolves and now we have all these monsters so it's almost like he had been planning to write a sort of a world like more like a song of ice and fire where magic was like coming back and increasing rather than what we get which is a world where there's sort of decreasing magic i i think the parts of it i think probably like to be totally honest um especially because we know that like when he wrote this short story he actually had not planned on making a saga like mm-hmm. my feeling is actually just he, that he didn't really care like at that time and that like actually the only like what what I read into that line was that Sapkowski is actually trying to neatly and conveniently introduce us to the idea of witchers, like, by making them seem like a novel thing through Velorad's words. Like, I don't yeah. think there was much planning involved just yet. Uh, but it is, like, correct that, like, um, like, what actually end- we end up having in the end is hilariously, like, the complete opposite, because, like, it, um... It's more accurate to say that, like, give or take 40 or, or 60 years ago, the sack of Caer Morin happened, and suddenly there were a lot <laughs> less witchers in the world yes. than before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, the other thing that I thought was just, you know, that jumped out at me was, like, we'll get into this a little bit later when I think we talk about like the motivations behind what happened with Ada and the, the, the Striga, um, which is the way he says, just like Norded Ada to her good fortune, survive the birth. It's just like, Oh, come on, man. It sort of feels like one of the places that Lauren Hysterick might've gotten her motivation or sort of her inspiration from to sort of change the way this story worked to sort of like make a direct reference to basically honor killing in the show. Mm. Just this idea that it was better for her to die than to live with this disgrace. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I, I always interpret that line more and less less in terms of honor and more in terms of like, shit, man, the world she would have lived in with regard to her own life that like would have surrounded her would have been pretty fucking horrible. Like true. As an as an I always interpreted this from the perspective of at least she didn't have to see like that her child turned out to be a monster. I think I just bristle at anyone making the suggestion that it's better off for someone to be dead for what they think they shouldn't have to see. No, yeah, for sure. Like, um I I just think that that was more like Velorad's implication here than anything else. Because mm-hmm. he, I mean, I'm gonna be real here. This man doesn't seem to be all that actually flustered about the concept of honor specifically, unlike Ostrid is both in the t- short story and in the TV TV series. True. Uh, yeah, I've got some choice words for Ostrid later. Yeah, like my dude is like is 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 hilarious. Like um, like how how like the one thing. Um, that I did fucking love that the TV show changed in this regard was that they made Ostrid basically an incel. 
Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I actually kind of really enjoyed that. Like, <laughs> yeah, me too. And honor uh, killing incel. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and then she sort of just gives us the rundown of like what they've tried. Uh, just like a few witchers have come by. Um, most of them refused to try to break the spell. One tried, you know, ended up being killed. Um, and that there's a group of sort of yeah, yeah. There was one that was killed, and there was another one who was basically bribed. Yeah. Yeah, and there was one you ran away. Yeah. yeah. There are too many witchers. In this <laughs> too many I witchers. Know, it's spoil insane. The contract. But, it is... but also, like, actually, realistically, there are too many witchers. There yeah, shouldn't have, shouldn't be so many witchers after the sack of Karamoran. This is another difference in like lore. Well, I think that's something the show fucked up too, because like, there's no way there should be a witcher of the wolf school that Geralt doesn't know in the show. Well, exactly, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I guess maybe one who like left when he was very tidy was not at the keep when this when the sack happened. And never went. Never goes day. back in winter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but come on. I don't buy yeah, it. it's not likely. <laughs> I mean, but like every adaptation of The Witcher fucks this up, right? Because The Witcher, the Witcher game, like game series had Berengar. Yeah, where's who, he from? Um, <laughs> he's from the Wolf School, but, but like, like where did he, he and Geralt from? don't he... know each other. Yeah. Like, yeah. and what the fuck? Like, you know. He's, <laughs> he's there for exposition, basically. So the, yeah. So. By the way, very fascinating character. Like, I thought that he was actually dealing with like quite a few interesting topics, which is not something I say often about The Witcher One. Um, but <laughs> like, uh, but 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 he makes no sense from a lore perspective. <laughs> we all, well, what we also get then after we've had this talk of other witchers coming and failing or running away or what have you, we get introduced to full test. And of course, this is the major deviation from both the games and the books because it describes him as slim and too pretty. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like 40. under forty. Yeah, and pretty, and yeah. Um, Which is, by the I way, mean, interesting because this is this is completely different from both depictions of Poltest and adaptations. Um, because um, in in um, in the TV series. Um, he is actually depicted more resembling his own inner nature. Let's put it that way. Oh yeah, I think um, we referred to him as basically being Denethor when we recorded the show. Yeah, yeah, like, like some something between fucking Denethor and um, what do you call him? Um, Robert Baratheon. Um, mm, like, yeah, that's um, about right. Oh yeah. Uh, whereas in the games, he's like this, like tough, muscled guy. Whereas, like. Whereas here he's described as like basically a skinny pretty boy, Jamie Lannister. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. Lannister about him. <laughs> yeah, there's terrifyingly much of Jamie Lannister about him. I'm gonna look up when it was that the first translation of this short story was made into English because we're tie dying George R. Oh, R. Martin. Oh, shit. Yeah, because George R. R. Martin didn't start writing until the mid-90s, right? Ooh. But I don't think this got translated to English until, like, the 2000s. I think it was, like, after well, the games. Well, the book, The Last Wish, was not. However, there existed some translations of individual short stories before that. And George R. R. Martin was already, like, a big name in, like, niche fantasy publishing before he yeah. started A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, hmm, skinny, pretty incest blondes, George. 
<laughs> now we're not obviously not accusing accusing George R. R. Martin of knowingly ripping off faultist uh Yeah, this stuff's just in the water sometimes and you know <laughs> it's like, you know, like the idea of a magic school and predestined children is not exclusive to Anthony Horowitz. Um Yeah. 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 Alright. <laughs> so Ostrich kinda comes off as kind of a dick even before we know what he's done. Like when so He's kind of one of the the first people Geralt's talking to, kind of in this scene, and uh, I thought it was just really weird that um, Ostrich sort of insists to Geralt that he must refer to the Striga as the princess for the sake of not making a mistake in front of the king. And as soon as Geralt not starts to talking Geralt, to Voltest, to is oh to Velarad, sorry. Yeah. And then as soon as like by then when Geralt goes to talk to Voltest, Voltest rebukes him for calling the Striga the princess. So clearly this isn't Voltest's hang-up. Oh, wait, actually, yeah. sorry, sorry. Um, I, I misread. It's not Ostrid. It's Segelin, actually. It's Segelin that does that. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Segelin's a bit of a dick, then. Yeah, I mean, Segelin is a dick in both this and the adaptation, but, like, yeah. in different ways. It's kind of yeah. funny. But also, to be totally fair, like, it's actually a legitimate warning, because, like, yeah. Voltest is a... is an easily provocable young king with weird fucking well you don't want to insult a king's daughter in front of him well exactly right um just theoretically yeah Yeah. so Geralt gets a bit more of the background about what's been going on he finds out that there have been a few villager peasant sort of uprisings against the Striga and that the response from Foltest has been to kill the people who tried to kill the Striga basically the the description they give of it is pretty cool as well Uh, you know they talk about um the size of a barrel and having cat-like claws and dagger-like teeth oh, with red yeah. eyes and a red mop of hair. It's very sort of old-school fantasy descriptions, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Foltest is um, quite concerned for... I think this is something that's really interesting, actually, is that I think the show did this, too, is that Foltest is actually quite concerned about the Striga as his daughter. Um, like, he's concerned that she'll be normal, like, mentally normal is what he's mostly concerned about that she won't just be like turned back into a girl but still be like a monster um and Geralt gives him like a long list of all the things he'll need to do to sort of like stop her from reverting to being a Striga uh if he manages to cure her and uh the one of the things that stuck out for me here was when Foltest's like insisting that he should go to the to the crypt with Geralt um when he says at least I have the right to see my daughter while you are murdering her because he like is he, he's got this guilt about never having actually seen her. I found some info about the translations of this particular short story. So the first one was actually back in the days when people still thought that a good way to translate Witcher would be Hexer. So that was 2000. Um, like, But there is a much more amusing short story um, from 2010. Uh, like, like, the translation of the short story from 2010. Um also, again, before the actual publication of The Last Wish, which decided to, um, let's put it this way, change all the names. <laughs> I do mean all the names. Foltest's name in this in this translation is Hrobost. Uh, Zima is Kloster. Temeria becomes Kra. Uh, <laughs> Medel becomes Demel. Um... <laughs> Um, Is this to make it hard to Google an unofficial translation or something? <laughs> uh, Pontar becomes Fonzor. 
becomes hey. Ostrich. Uh, Mahakam becomes a thief. The Striga becomes a gomb. And, and Novigrad is referred to by two different words. One of which is Klofok and the other is Globur. What the fuck? You cannot cut this from the episode. No, no, People that's need to hear is... this. <laughs> that's fact. Bow before your uh. king, Hrobost, king of Kra, <laughs> uh, Fonzor, and Afif. <laughs> it certainly sounds very fantasy. <laughs> yes. They are also terrible fucking names. I have never heard worse fantasy names. No, they are very bad fantasy names. <laughs> so right. yes, back back in the kingdom of Kra in this in this short story. <laughs> so right, yeah. So I've been saying that he like seems quite concerned about the the, the state of his daughter, and um, when he's sort of talking to to Geralt about like it being worth trying this, um the sort of last ditch effort, even if it means that Geralt has to kill her in self-defense. He thinks it's worth having to trust him because he's worried that she's suffering. And that's kind of like the last thing he says to, yeah, to yeah. Geralt before he goes well, to... Well, that, that, that's, that's an immediately following conversation, but yes. Like, because uh. the, fir- the first conversation between Geralt and Foltest is very short. It's literally... He basically yeah. just asks Geralt if he can do it. And then threatens him, like um, yeah. But then later in his later conversation with Geralt, he actually explains. He he seems like a much more um, like almost sympathetic creature in that conversation because he actually explains that he would not punish anyone who killed a dragon in self defense, but mm-hmm. he simply cannot openly say that in front of his courtiers, who he all who he knows all want the Striga dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there's something else in this too when he's like talking about like whether or not to trust Geralt and he he says that he he knows what a rogue he is because uh <laughs> he's sure he killed those bugs just for word to spread and to shock people and to shock him. She's like, "Yeah. Okay, Geralt." Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, like Geralt doesn't deny this in a way that like makes me go, "Yeah, that is completely canon." Like Sapkowski's yeah. initial short story about Geralt has him kill three people for publicity. <laughs> yeah, and then just give zero fucks about it. So we need to talk about how Geralt is actually a bad person, as established by the very first <laughs> short story in the series. <laughs> I just choose to take almost everything in this story as non-canon, apart from the fact that the Stringer got killed. Or not killed, got cured. Because, cured, uh, yeah. Yeah, because, um... Like... Yeah, uh, basically, I do take this with a lot of with a lot of retcon salt because yeah. it's it it's contradictory with what we later know of Geralt. Because you know, what is wild to me though is mm. this is like this story has been republished in so many different formats, and he never took the opportunity to actually retcon it. <laughs> I think it's like... because it's so it's so iconic that like it would actually weirdly offend people if he did. <laughs> it would be a handshot first moment. Yeah, true. Like, and, you know, the thing always about Handshot first as well is that you have to always remember that, like, at the end of the day, retconning it was not necessarily, like, 
actually out of character with who Han Solo is as a person. Like, it, um, you know, it it could have been either way. So in the same in the same sense, um, Geralt massacring massacring at least three people for publicity is a bit out of character. <laughs> it's pretty out of character. <laughs> pretty out of character. Shall we say, given how the series concludes, it is a peculiar choice. It is it is it is definitely contradictory. But I feel like regardless, if if Sapkowski rewrote this story, there would be at least some fans who would scream at him. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Admittedly also if you if anyone has ever read any interviews with Andrzej Sapkowski, you would know that he would not give a shit. Um, <laughs> about continuity? No, we know he gives no shits about continuity. Well, we've all read seen no, the meant, stories. No, I meant about, about, I meant about <laughs> fan responses. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care about that either. <laughs> like, like, that man does not care about your opinion. Like, Which is what I love about him, honestly. Yes, no, unironically great. Like You'll get no fan service out of him. Well, apart from the weird wedding story, I guess. But that was a present for some of his friends, so... Yeah, I mean, That's it's legitimate to make fan service for friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I mean, like, you know... It's the one legitimate kind of fan service. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, cut to Geralt going up to the to the castle to try to to try to deal with this. Uh, we get a description of uh, the elixirs for the first time. Yes. Um, and, and the box yes. he keeps them in and the ceremony that he goes through consuming the potions. Um, I'm talking about grasses and some of the ingredients in the potions and stuff like that, which is pretty just a little cool bit of detail, I think. The mm-hmm. cool thing as well is that like virtually every single herb that he that is listed here is actually real. Um, except for the ones that he explicitly says that, like, the other components did not have names in any human language. But, like, the reason why I know know that, like, all the ones that are listed are actually real is because the Lufanian translation gives their names in Lufanian and they don't look made up on the spot. And some of them I even actually, like, vaguely remember hearing as the names of plants. So, cool! Like, you can make your own witcher potions. They just might not do what you think. <laughs> well, it does say that they are deadly poisons to anyone who hasn't been accustomed to them from from childhood, so... Mm, like, yeah. at least, like, the mixture is said to be. like Hawthorne's poisonous, for sure. Hawthorne, for sure. Um, what are the ones in English, actually? Because I can only steal the Lithuanian. Um... Uh, Veratrum, Stramonium, Spurge? I don't know what those are, but I know Hawthorne's poisonous. Veratrum is um, used in traditional Chinese medicine, apparently. Hmm. Just, you know, cool things. Um, It is dangerously toxic, so we do not advise making your own witcher poisons. (laughs) Um, (laughs) To be Uh, clear. Stramonium is also known as Oh, yeah, Stramonium's a nightshade, so that's probably poisonous. Oh, it's a hallucinogen. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah. You might die, but you will trip first. Oh, it's Deterra. That's what Stramonium is. It's Deterra. That's, yeah, that's a hallucinogen. Um, 
and I don't know, Spurges. And, this um... is fun. Oh, holy shit. Lafladia grows like 20 types of Spurge, apparently. <laughs> uh... <laughs> in um, the Witcher game, when you're in the forests with the Scoyotel, there is a bit where some druids explicitly ask you to go and get some psilocybe mushrooms. <laughs> yes, I remember that. That is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can actually ask them about why they want it, and it's just like... Eh, For uh, rituals. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the yeah, sap yeah. of um, uh, Spurge is a pretty severe irritant, apparently. It's used as a purgative. It's like mm. epic yeah, so or something. Yeah, so like pretty much not, not anything you really want to be ingesting, no. Unless you want to purge. Yeah. That's why it's called Spurge. Ah. Well, the thing. Oh, there you go. I, I presume. In the um, <laughs> Witcher theme. Yeah, no, it actually is. It's derived from Middle English slash Old French Spurge to purge. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we're learning some herb lore while we're at this. <laughs> yeah. Now. <laughs> So, so the point is that if you mix all of these, you might poison yourself, but on the bright side, the laxative side effects will immediately, like, <laughs> uh, eject it out of your system. Point being, don't do it. They're poisonous, and the book clearly states, also, that it's very poisonous to anyone who hasn't been, like, repeatedly exposed to it from childhood. What I noticed is that um, there's some other things. We noticed at the start that he got more stick for being Rivian than for being a witcher. And I actually just searched through this whole story and found there's no references to his eyes apart from growing accustomed to the dark. Mm, and saying and he can control it them. It seems to lean... Yeah, but it seems to lean really heavily on it being the potions that give him control of his body. He seems like he might actually, apart from the white hair, be like pretty normal looking yeah, in like not yet this mutated. story before he... Like, like, Sapkowski hasn't thought of mutations yet. Mm. I mean, that would make, make a lot of sense to me. Um, you also have to remember that he basically wrote this wrote this short story as a, as a Conan parody. So, um, yeah. <laughs> like, in a lot of ways, especially, like, the wanton brutality to raise publicity, Geralt is just aping Conan. <clears throat> like, but what I was going to say is, um, like, about about the herbs, like this does remind me that like the like fantasy offers really fucking love telling you like various poisonous herbs that you could really acquire in real life, and like someone should really look into the ethics of that at some point because <laughs> George R R Martin gives you a medieval recipe for for like you know. Uh, essentially abortion medication in the book like except you know it's one of those that like nearly kill usually kills the woman as well yeah like, please do not because drink penny of how royal toxic i am begging you please do not drink penny royal <laughs> yeah yeah so guys please stop putting names of poisons in your books <laughs> like yeah. before before someone actually tries them like yeah <laughs> One of the things I like, one of the things I like about the whole potion taking thing is how deliberate the language is and how it goes into sort of the detail of it. You know, him sitting down with the small chest with the metal fittings and it's describing the process in great detail. Maybe it's just because how my mind works, but I like the sort of you know, the compartments lined with dried glass, small vials, and the witch removed three, and it was it's all very methodical. And it sort of talks about his preparation and he's doing this as a sort of part of his job. 
you are our, our token scientist, so like it makes sense that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, that's true. The the bit that is basically chemistry would. It's would, reproducible. Would <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, please like that... try to reproduce it. Uh, but I like that too. I like the sort of the aesthetic. I like. I mean, I'm really into like the aesthetic of like alchemy, so that's really cool. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that we get like a reference to it being like lined with grasses and the idea that he has been being sort of poisoned from childhood. So we've got this idea of a really early idea of what the trial of the grasses might be um, in terms of like, that's when they just give them all the poisons and mutate them up and see if they survive. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, basically, um, right. <laughs> um, and then we don't really get like Geralt having any particularly special abilities like you know, the sharper hearing and being able to sort of, like, see in the dark and stuff until he takes the potion. So, yeah, it seems like, uh, yeah, like what you're saying, like, he hasn't come up with the idea of witchers as mutants yet, more witchers as being uniquely tolerant because of long training to taking poisonous enhancing drugs. So, yeah, I just think it's really interesting. <laughs> oh, that, like, no, sorry, different. I looked up another one of the herbs, and it appears to be literally belladonna. Oh, but like, Eyebright is Belladonna. Yeah, I, I knew that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, Monkshood is also poisonous. I don't know what Bane Ward is. These are basically just very, very strong Nalefkas, like like herbal liqueurs. Um, yeah. Like, yeah it's so poisons. strong that they're poisonous. <laughs> yeah, made with poisonous herbs. But anyway, point being, uh, Ostrich turns up after Geralt's already potioned up. Um, First of all, shits himself with Geralt's face. Yes. Because one of his potions makes his face incredibly pale. And Basically also... the way he yeah looked at the start of the first episode. Exactly. And also like ex expands his, what do you call it? people mm -hmm. yeah like and and ostrid basically like um tries to bribe him to leave and it's heavily implied that the witcher who fled last time uh probably took a similar bribe from ostrid uh, uh, well ostrid basically implies that he's trying to stage a coup d'etat or at least try to overthrow the king um, um, well, well, I think Geralt well, no, implies no, no. that to Geralt Ostrid. Geralt implies that to Ostrid, and Ostrid basically yells at him that he doesn't understand anything. Uh, they come to blows, Ostrid is knocked out. Then, Ostrid wakes up tied up, and Ostrid explains actually that the plan was not that he wants to overthrow the king. Like, he wants Foltis doom, but not for the purpose of like gaining power just because he hates him yes uh because yeah. uh because he uh loved ada back in the day yeah uh, says he loved her but then refers to her as the king's trollop so hmm. you know <laughs> incel energy yeah big incel def energy definite insul insul energy this is where like the game starts like it's the opening cutscene is yeah, this specific the, the, bit. Yeah, the game the game begins with a with with a cutscene that like depicts this this particular chain of events, um, which is a really strange yeah, yeah. choice. Well, in one sense, I suppose the story is called The Witcher and the game is called The Witcher, so it makes sense that you would use the short story for it. But given that the games are set after all of the books, 
it's odd that they chose this as the most significant you Nostalgia, know, story I think to was a was a powerful factor in that regard. Um, like it, as I say, it's iconic. This this short story has become associated with the entire series to a ridiculous degree for something that, as we've discussed, has been retconned to such a degree. Yeah. Um, like, um, yeah, because of that, yeah. you know, I think mostly. Yeah, and uh, we find out that unlike show, Ostrid, who did in fact intentionally curse Ada. Um, it's we it's kind of left a little bit ambiguous. Like Ostrich sort of implies that well he sort of like is actually in fear that it might be his fault because he was very, very angry and just said some angry words that, you know, with the the, the force of sort of his hatred and anger behind them may have perhaps caused the stranger to have come into being but like it's not a classic sort of fairy tale thing where you yeah it's a fairy tale curse it's not a a spell it's not intentional well this is the thing that's consistent in the witchers that a lot of the most powerful curses aren't actually even cast by people with any magic power it's just people in anger doing stuff there 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 does seem to be some sort of in-universe rule that like anger has magical power hmm or like really powerful sort of um, yeah, just like the powerful sort of energy of a of, of of an emotion is yeah is a kind of magic yeah or like at least like it can summon magic to itself yeah. if you will because like I can even I can even see a logical explanation for it from how you know magic in The Witcher works you know because magic is as the show says is organizing chaos right um, mm-hmm. like so and I, emotions I can, are inherently I can imagine chaotic. Yeah, yeah, like, 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 um, I imagine that, like, you know, because there is such a thing as, like, accidental, like, wild magic in the universe, and we definitely know this because there are things like places of power and so on, like, um, so it, it makes a lot of sense to me that, um, something as chaotic as a powerful emotion could accidentally link together with the magic that is floating pretty much in the air of the universe to produce something like a curse, for instance. Yeah, it's sort of like the grain of sand around which a pearl gathers. It's, exactly, it provides right? something yeah, for yeah. it to coalesce on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like, you know, at, at, and there, there is def- there's definitely ambiguity here going on, whether it's Ostrit or, like... Um, uh, Queen Sansia, who is behind it, mm-hmm. and um, like it does seem to be implied that, like by by the fact that the Ostrid references her specifically and says that like um, she knows she like says references her specifically in the in the context of like um, you know saying that he doesn't know how to cast magic that presumably she Sansia was able to in some mm-hmm. capacity, so it does like you know become actually quite a kind of interesting ambiguous thing whether this was a curse born out of human anger or like yeah. out of a deliberate magical act it's actually quite kind of sad and pathetic how he, he he's he's almost like he's asking for Geralt's absolution here the way he says it wasn't me I only once you know tried to persuade them but at a witcher I was besotted and you said witcher was it me me Witcher, you know, like he's like really, he's like begging for like an answer because now that he's considered it might have been him, he can yeah. cope with it. Yeah. I mean, to be totally honest, I have to say, like, I, 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 I've always actually felt at least a little bit bad for specifically Book Ostrid because 
honestly, it does sound like he was just a guy who at one point was rather angry that, like, the girl he had a thing for kind of, you know, ended up sleeping with her brother, which... It's gross, so, you know. Gross, so, you know, perhaps legitimate to fucking be angry a little bit. Yeah, like, possessive, right? But, like, you know... It's not exactly as as straight up insulty as TV series Ostrich is what I'm trying yeah. to say. And I think TV series Ostrich had to be really villainous because like what Geralt does here is pretty brutal. That's exactly it, right? Like uh, what what Geralt does to Ostrich is justified in the TV series because by the way, it follows the exact same pattern. Fans of the TV series, the next couple of bits of this short story are basically identical. Like, um, because Geralt uses Ostrid as bait um, for the Striga, like, and it is pretty brutal, um, yep. considering that it isn't actually clear that Ostrid had anything to do with, um, with like, you know, the curse. Yeah, I mean, I will say the one thing that Ostra is culpable for is that he's been trying to bribe people into leaving the Striga B, therefore condemning God Multiple knows how many deaths. civilians yeah. to death. I think there's definitely a case for saying Ostrit is a terrible person because he let his anger rule his emotions, rule his actions to the point where, like, so many hundreds of people must have died. It's just, it's just yeah. a sort of poetic justice thing, really, with him. Which kind of happens yeah. a lot in the themes of the Witcher, I guess. Um, Just mm-hmm. as people had to run from the Struga and be cut down, because nobody can outrun the Struga, and now Ostrid will. Yeah, there's a weird kind of harsh one-to-one eye-for-an-eye karmic justice. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, as it happens with the show, um, Ostrid is bait and gets eaten by the Struga. And then the fight proceeds. Which, yeah, yeah basically, it's pretty much identical it's to what happens well in the TV series. And... Yeah, it's like, right down well to, like, the way the fight. chain is described and shatters. So, like, everything is very similar. The show did a great job of just, like, pretty one-to-one. Yeah, yeah. Like, already, there is something to be said already here that, like, already Sapek, like, demonstrates a very good understanding of how to write a good fight scene. Because it's dynamic and like it's dominated by like constant movement, and like there's there's no feeling like you sometimes get in fucking descriptions of fantasy uh, fights um, that 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 like not enough things are happening, if you will, <laughs> like mm-hmm. um, like like there's 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 no there's a lot of dynamism in how he writes it. And we get some introduction to a few things. Um, so we get an introduction to the Witcher signs. So yes. like we see him use... Uh... Well, he used an Axios sign in the beginning. Uh, in the, on the guards in the... Oh, that's right, Nara, he did. In the old Nara court, yeah. But we get Ard here. Yeah. Um, I think for the first time. Um, and Eirden. Yeah, that's the sealing one, right? The thing where he seals himself. Yeah, in. yeah. It's, it's a yeah. Shield and one. he does something... He does something very weird that I don't think he ever does again. He does this, like, psychic thing where he, like, um, I've got this sort of... um... Well, he does, like, roar, basically. (laughs) 
he, he like uses a psychic um, power to f- scare the um streak away. Okay, so I'll I'll read it out because I'm I'm at the 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 bit. Yeah, so it says like um so basically he does he does something um and the the striga backed away pushed by the power of concentrated hatred anger and violence which emanated from the attacking man and struck her in waves penetrating her mind and body terrified and pained by feelings unknown to her she let out a thin shaking squeak turned on the spot and ran off in a desperate crazy escape and then it says what it says of what Geralt did was that um it had taken a long time, he thought, before this dance on the edge of an abyss. This mad, macabre ballet of a fight had achieved the desired effect and allowed him to psychically become one with his opponent to reach the underlayers of concentrated will which permeated the Striga, the evil, twisted will from which the Striga was born. So this idea that he can, like, psychically connect to his, like, opponent yeah. and then turn their own hatred against themselves like this is i don't think we like this doesn't no, ever come up again right never, like this is like a weird thing again. <laughs> yes like, Geralt never has any psionic abilities ever again even though those become a pretty Can important I just thing say, <laughs> that that was very cool though and he should have <laughs> he should have put that in it was cool as fuck <laughs> like, like why the fuck did you remove this sapek i'm just asking this politely but like you know <laughs> I'm assuming um, he wanted to make psionic abilities something that belonged to sorcerers, but I know, yeah. I know. From an in-universe <laughs> lore perspective, it makes sense. But just god damn it, that's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe I guess you could argue that like No, no. I was gonna say maybe you could argue that like you could you could extend the definition of how much how far how how much an axe can do. But I doubt it. Yeah, not like this. Axie's yeah. like sort of like Jedi mind trick, but more powerful. It's not reaching into their soul, the pulling way, out the darkness and slapping them with it. <laughs> by the way, here's an interesting thing in this situation. Where Geralt gets into the sarcophagus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it is mentioned that it is a double sarcophagus intended both for the mother and the daughter. Um, and the Striga sleeps in here every night, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Ada, the elders' um, remains are in the sarcophagus, and they're mummified. At least that's how the Lithuanian translation translated it. Yeah. Um, like, which is interesting to me because that because the Struga did not eat it, eat them. Mm. That's like, true. So so even in the de- the you know deepest pits of like being this you know cursed monster um somewhere there you know like there there's there's a human being who understands like that like eating your own mother's remains would be bad (laughs) or was it just that it only wants fresh food yeah but i mean they're mummified so there's plenty of meat on it it's not hot fresh hearts and livers yeah. Oh, yeah. It does. It does. It is really fucking picky about food, right? Like, it yeah. loves internal organs. <laughs> Vitamin yes, A. That, that would be it. Oh <laughs> uh, God, I didn't think heart, fr- hot, fresh hearts and livers was a thing I was ever gonna say, but here we are. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's why you're not supposed to eat um, polar bear livers because they're so rich in vitamin A. Or grizzly bear you. livers. Yep. 
Yeah. I'm from a country where people do sometimes eat bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell, telling a Canadian from like the northern wilds <laughs> how not to eat a bear. <laughs> like, thank you. <laughs> bear splitting. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not even kidding. We get taught all this like survival foods, what not to eat shit in school, or at least I do because I'm from like the middle of nowhere. So literally in one of my classes in like grade eight, we like learned how to build survival cabins and like make fire without matches and shit. That's cool. We got taught the food food thing as well, but specifically for mushrooms. So. Oh yeah. Well, mushrooms are a huge part of like the whole thing in Eastern Europe, aren't they? Like, going mushroom I mean, yeah, stuff. it is shocking how little mushroom eating there is in these books. <laughs> uh, oh, right? I know, right? The Hobbit has more mushroom eating. Oh, not The Hobbit, maybe Lord of the Rings has more mushroom eating. <laughs> it's actually appalling. It's, it's like, I mean, there, there was a fantastic tweet, like, that um, uh, a friend of ours did on Twitter. Um, <laughs> it said... I mean, mushroom collecting is like a kind of Slavic Pokemon Go, isn't it? <laughs> uh, um, right, so the Strigger runs off and Geralt needs to get in the crypt. Um, unlike in the... So I don't think he does this in the show. He like he like takes a sleeping... He seals himself in. He takes a sleeping potion, seals himself in, and takes a wee nap with an hourglass going. <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> He's like, okay, sleeping on the job, Geralt, I guess. <laughs> I mean, but like, that's actually the point, right? Because he needs to yeah. sp- spend the night in the sarcophagus, so... Yeah, I just thought it was quite funny that he basically takes... Uh... <laughs> Dreamy nighty sleepy snoozy snooze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he downs a bottle of Nightall and... <laughs> Uh, yeah, get some sleep. But I like him. Yeah, he wake. He he sleeps through, and he wakes up, and he approaches this young girl, and you know she's still, she appears somewhat human, um, and then basically bites a chunk out of his neck. He bites a chunk out of her neck, and they pass out. Um. Unconscious. Yeah, because because, because because uh it turns out that he woke up a little bit too early before before Yeah, this is something like, that like... Sapek loves to do, is he, he puts in these one line sort of really heavy sentences. Like, you know, in this one it says the cock the you know, in the cold in Vizim beyond the lake, a cock ruffling its feathers in the cold damp crowed hoarsely for the third time. He loves to do this after telling a really significant story and having a shock having a one sentence like this because he did it with um uh little essie in another short story oh oh yeah. no yeah where he'll tell we'll a long story and then right now. bang just one sentence that yeah. just punches you in the heart <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah because because it's until the until the third cockcrow that you know you need to sleep for mm-hmm. the struga to be actually properly cured yeah and, um, God damn it, Geralt! All you had to do was like just preventatively stay in there for longer. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is he set his timer wrong because it's like when Geralt opened his eyes, the sand had passed through the hourglass, which meant his sleep had been even longer than he intended. So, like, he set his timer wrong in the first place. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, like, like, but, but, the, but the thing is, the thing is, right? Like, there is no downside from sleeping longer. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, literally, literally, sleep until midday. Like Yeah, but because of his little fuck up, she claws his throat out while he's going to check if she's like physically transformed. And uh 
then yeah, he has to bite her neck until she blacks out, and uh, then <laughs> there's they... a the, he wakes up. Valorad's taking care of him, like yeah. of all people. Um, and there's actually a like like <laughs> like my favorite line here is just like Valorad says to him, "Yes, don't worry, your silver Witcher sword is not lost, uh, nor." nor nor your 3,000 orans. Yes, you can say nothing. I am an old fool, and you are uh, an ancient and wise witcher. Voltist has been repeating this to me for two days now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a pretty brutal description of how ripped up he got. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then... And then... I love the, this last line. This Geralt, before I go, tell me, why did you try to bite her to death? And Geralt, uh, the witcher, was asleep. <laughs> he is just a really funny writer. Um, just yeah, the way he, he really tells is. stories is just so brilliant. And he has, if it's possible to have funny uh, comedic timing... I love Sapek's sense of humour. It's just so yeah. dry and perfect. It's like... It's like, how do you have comic it's, timing it's in a book? <laughs> How how do you have comic timing in actually like a book that is not actively a comedy, right? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like because it's not like it's not like it's not like Terry Pratchett, right? Which, uh, who is a genius writer, but like he actively sets out to write a comedy novel series, mm. world, mm-hmm. legendarium. I don't know what you call it at the point yeah. at which this world is, um, like but um. But, like, Sapek, like, theoretically sets out to write a completely serious story, and it still is hilarious, like, even when it's dark. Like... And And honestly, I have to say, he's a really gifted short story writer. Like, as much as I love the novels, I actually think his real talent lies in short stories. The way he's able... He really grasps where the end should be to a short story yes. really well. He really, really understands the short story medium. And it is actually, you know, this is something that, you know, my lecturers always said, and I completely agree with, is that actually the short story is the most difficult literary form. Like, you have to build a world, fill it, tell a story, and then wrap it up within, like, 50 pages. Yeah, I think these are, like, 30 even. Like, they are short. Like, and he's just, like, he's just incredible at knowing how much detail to give and how much you need about the world and how much just yeah he somehow manages to do all of that still have a huge amount of dialogue action comedy uh, a full arc a full world and yeah in such a short space he's a really just brilliant short story writer i think yeah by the time you can see him the thing that i really like about the witcher as a series you can see him developing his craft as he gets into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the novels are better than others, but by the time he's got to Lady of the Lake, that's possibly one of my favourite novels ever. By anyone. Full oh, stop. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like the ending yeah. of um, Baptism of Fire leading um, or Tower of the Swallow. The one with the ice lake. Um, what's I can't... Tower of the Swallow. Yeah, the ending of yeah. Tower of the Swallow. Fuck. That sequence is incredible. It's there's so much going on. It's so frantic, but so perfectly timed, and it's the denouement of like four books worth of tension, and it's just oh yeah, he's so fucking good. <laughs> Basically, is the uh, the summary here. And then yeah, so that's the end of the story. So that was the first short story of Ever. the series. 
<laughs> yeah. So that's sort of fun that we got, um, we get to, as we sort of go through these together, we get to um, see, yeah, not only uh, Sapex kind of developing his craft, we get to see the the world of the Witcher being sort of created and retconned as it, as it goes. We get to see Geralt sort of growing as a character and becoming the Geralt that we know. Um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, been fun to get a chance to do that. All right, uh, that's our show. Thank you for listening. Um, and join us again next time when we discuss the second short story, A Grain of Truth. You can find us on Twitter and Tumblr as at the Witchercast, and you can email us at castapod to your witcher at gmail.com. Our music is Medieval Abstraction by Lucas Perny and Miloslav Kolar, and you can find it at freemusicarchive.org. See you next time. <laughs>